Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Coming up in just a few minutes, you work for years. You hit the golden years. You're eligible to have benefits from the Social Security Administration, except you can't reach anybody there. It's today's Clark Rage. I'm going to fill you in. I want to talk right now about something that is going to hurt some people's sentimentality. Real Christmas trees versus fake ones. How do you decide? A lot of people that are traditionalists, there's nothing else other than a real tree. And then environmentalists end up on both sides of this thing. Being either anti-grown trees or anti-artificial trees. Artificial trees are made up of plastic and metal and that plastic comes from petroleum and all that and then the real trees you know you got to grow them and then you cut them down and grow some more and all that well farmers will tell you they're the better environmentalists because they are building trees like they'd plant any other crop right and the thing is is the tree that they replace it's not like in a normal forest it's typically on farmland so i don't get the environmental angle on that why people would attack the real trees as for the fake ones i read an item recently i don't remember where i saw it that five years is kind of the tipping point that if you keep a plastic tree artificial tree whatever you want to call it for five years or longer that then that tips the scale environmentally that the plastic tree would be better than the real one. But then there's something else, and that's the cost. If you buy an artificial tree and use it year after year, you save a whole lot of money versus buying a real one. And as for money, as we discussed last year, you can blame the banks. That's right. It's all the banks' fault that real trees are more expensive now because the banking scandals of last decade led to greatly reduced planning of Christmas trees last decade because it takes like somewhere around 10 years or so to grow Christmas trees. And this severe shortage that's pushed the prices up is all the banks' fault. See, everything in life ultimately comes back to being the fault of the giant monster megabanks. It's just how you get to that point. But buy what you wish and know that the marketplace is working like it's supposed to. If we have an oversupply of something, the price comes down. We have a shortage, the price goes up. And that's just what's going on with the real trees. So maybe this is the year you decide... To go fake. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you which to do. You decide. Connie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Connie. Well, hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So you get to have the last word. Fake tree, real tree for Christmas. I I have to do fake. And you said that like discouraged. Do you do that as a way to save money or you just 
think it's a better idea? Uh, primarily because of allergies and molds and things like that that come in on the real trees. Wow, I never thought about that. Yep. Well, well, thank you for giving me a whole nother angle. <laughs> How many years have you had the fake tree that you have now? Uh, this is new as of two years ago. Okay. Well, good. Yep, it really does make a difference. You know, it's funny. Some of the fake trees now, the manufacturers make them look imperfect so they look more like a real tree. They really do. They're beautiful. Well, good. Well, you didn't want to talk about trees. How can I serve you? Uh, yes, I wanted to get some advice. I am have always been interested in trading stocks, uh, sort of more as a hobby, but I, I do hear about um, different options that are available, ways that I could make extra money um, trading stocks and, and going through, you know, a, a course to do so. And I wondered if you thought that was a good idea. I am. I have never seen a stock trading pitch that I liked. But uh -huh. I got to tell you where I start from. I am. I'm somebody who, with my investing, is as dull with investing as I am dull as a person. I am into just making money over time by diversifying my money and I have a wide variety of funds I put my money into every month. And so I'm not into individual stocks. It's not my thing. I'm not into doing trading. That's not my thing either. So I approach it with a built-in bias. You know, we all have these built-in biases and my bias is I am someone who just methodically spreads my money out and not only diversifies what I own, but diversify by using time, buying in every month, known as dollar cost averaging. So I am wired completely different than what you're asking me. Having said that, if you are going to do any trading program, Usually these are like red light, green light, buy this, sell that, buy this, sell that, buy right now, sell right now. Uh, a lot of them are very high frequency trading. Um, that is so far from my thing, I don't even know what to tell you. Is the, What you're considering, where does it fit on that spectrum? Well, I'm afraid I haven't done enough research myself, but it's probably more... Um, you know, buy, buy, sell fast. If you're going to buy, sell fast, do it inside an IRA or a Roth IRA, not in a regular investment account. Okay. Because the problem in a regular investment account are the tax issues. You know, the way, uh, the way stocks are taxed is there's a discriminatory tax when you own a stock less than a year. And so somebody who's doing uh, constant trading, you're never owning anything for a year. So you're paying what's known as ordinary income tax rather than long-term capital gains. And so if you were instead 
to do that inside an IRA, you eliminate all the tax considerations. I see. That makes sense. But as far as a philosophy, I'm I'm not into anybody's market timing programs or market trading programs. It's just not my thing. And so I would say start with the what uh, Charles Schwab forever ago coined as the core, that you start with the basics where you're investing widely diversified uh, to create financial security for yourself, and then whatever you would do with any kind of trading program is money that is money that's almost like play money that you don't lose sleep over if you don't do well with it. But as far as making money from high-frequency trading, I, I don't think a lot of people, other than the people pitching the programs, make money from it. Jeremy's joining us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jeremy. Hi, Clark. How you doing? Great, thank you, Jeremy. You have a question nobody's asked me in, gosh, probably two years. Well, it's new to me, so I'm, I'm learning as I go, I guess. What's the scoop? Um, well, my wife and I were on a little adventure to find a, a bargain uh, used Nintendo Switch for my son for Christmas. And in the middle of our adventure, we come across uh, a new-to-us site called OfferUp. I did a little bit of background search that I'd never heard of it before, um, but it started to say on the website that they're doing a new thing with shipping, that you can buy anything from all around the country. Um, and it, it just kind of caught my attention that you have to put all your payment information into their website in order for the transaction to be complete, so it kind of scared me away as you know a possible scam or no no offer up is not a scam they're trying to find a place in the marketplace and what you're describing with now being able to buy things not locally is that they're kind of a cross trying to become a cross between ebay and craigslist right now last time i took this call again i think is at least two years ago (laughs) what i said about offer up is that they don't seem to have much strength in the marketplace, not like Craigslist, and that you have a similar risk to Craigslist when you buy locally, because how do you know that the person's trustworthy or that they're really on the up and up, that they're not going to rob you or anything? And so I've been nervous about it, and I'm nervous anytime you buy something sight unseen. Like buying across the country. So eBay has the platform they have for buying stuff across the country. And you can look at the seller ratings and see how many transactions they've done. And so I'm more comfortable buying something away from home that way. But whether you were to buy on, uh, uh, you said a Nintendo Switch? Right. Yeah, whether you were to buy one locally um or buy it on eBay. If you buy it locally, I'd like for you to meet the seller at a police precinct station. Okay. And that way, because you're going with, a uh, what, 200 bucks is what they're going for these days? Use switches? Yeah, right around there. Yeah. So $200 in cash can be tempting for somebody, and that's why I'd rather you do that at a, um, at, at a police precinct. Some police departments want 
people buying on uh, for sale classified sites to come to the precinct to eliminate crime worries. You know, if somebody's really trying to con you, they're not going to show up if you have as the meeting place the parking lot of a police station. Very good point. All right, well, thank you very much. But as far as OfferUp, OfferUp is not a scam. It's just another platform that's trying to establish in the marketplace for buyers and sellers. It kind of it kind of grabbed my attention by having to put your credit card information in that site, and not having a third party um, like you know eBay has their third party yeah. uh, for payments. That kind of threw my curiosity, I guess. Well, I have never heard one word of complaint about OfferUp. Okay. Basically, I've never had any comment about OfferUp. All I've ever had, and it's been very few times is the question that you had, what is this thing? Is this thing okay? And <laughs> as best I know, it's A-okay. It's just the issue comes up. How do you know you can trust the seller, especially how can you trust a seller across the country? And when you buy locally, you got to be so very careful. Today's Clark Rageous moment is something I cannot stand. I have to share with you. A complete and utter breakdown at the Social Security Administration to deal with your questions, problems, and issues. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. So I heard from somebody the other day what a hassle it was for them to go deal with something with Social security now i have had over the years taking other people an opportunity to visit social security field offices i've also done uh, television stories in my tv work at social security administration facilities and i have always been impressed at what i've seen which is why now What I just heard about is so disturbing that Social Security is so short of people with extreme budget cuts that they've had that getting through to somebody now, being able to go see somebody in an office with offices closing, headcount being cut back, that you who paid into Social Security your whole life when you want to talk to them, you should be able to talk to them. And this is unbelievable arrogance from the U.S. Congress that has cut the budget of Social Security again and again. Unacceptable. You know, we have issues we have to deal with with Social Security and Medicare about balancing the books. We don't have enough money coming in for what's going out for the benefits being paid to people. And that's not your fault as a recipient. And it's up to Congress to deal with that. And I've had a number of ideas I've shared with you over the years about that. But to punish people who put in the time and are entitled to the benefits with an inability to reach somebody 
or an inability to see somebody is just flat out wrong. And your individual member of the U.S. House and your two senators, they're the ones that need to be held to account for this. Because we need to treat people right who've worked all those years and deserve those benefits. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't anyone ever rip you off. So this is really funny. Has nothing to do with those Fidelity people. Nothing at all. Vanguard is giving all its millions and millions of account holders an early Christmas gift. Let's call it a Black Friday special because they did it Black Friday week. Vanguard has cut the fees on a lot of its funds and it gets a little arcane how it happened, but Vanguard it has always been the low-cost place to go invest. Has to be freaked out that Fidelity Investments did something earlier this year where they first did two, now four funds have no cost at all to invest with them. No commission, no management fees, nothing. And Fidelity has already attracted $7 billion bucks, approximately, $7 billion with a B, into these funds that are the Fidelity Zero funds. That Fidelity just absorbs the cost of you investing in those funds. And so Vanguard's like, wait a minute. We already kicked Fidelity into the second tier. What are they doing bringing in all this money? Well, that's what I'm imagining they're saying. Since they claim officially this had nothing to do with Fidelity. But what they did is a lot of the Fidelity, the Vanguard funds have two layers of expenses. One is if you're a fat cat with more than 50000 in the fund. And the other is for everybody else that has less than 50000 in a fund. Well, what they did is on a few dozen funds, three dozen funds, is they cut the, the thing to get a low cost down to 3000 bucks. Some of them were at 10, some were at 50, but now they're all at three. So you get a much lower cost for investing that's basically on a lot of these almost nothing. It's not nothing like Fidelity did on those four funds, but it's almost nothing. Now, Vanguard can't do nothing because Vanguard's a co-op. It's owned by its account holders. So each fund has to pay its own way. And they believe that they can pay their own way with these much lower expenses, I'm guessing. So the discount in fund fees is typically cutting them in half. Some of them more, some a little less, but it's a big deal. The thing is, if you're a Vanguard investor and you're in funds that are now eligible for this lower cost, you'll automatically be put into them by mid-next year. But if you want to go ahead and move to the lower expenses now, you got to contact them and have them move you to the lower expenses. Now, in the low-cost fund area, 
which we're arguing about pennies here because Fidelity with its new focus on low cost, Vanguard with its always low cost, Schwab with all its low cost stuff. I mean, it's all great. And Fidelity is doing the big push with robo-investing. And with Fidelity robo-investing, that you got to have more money. you got to have 5000 bucks for what's called Fidelity Go. But what you pay is you pay 0.35% per year for expertise in how you invest your money. And that's extremely cheap versus the typical financial person where you're going to pay 1%. You're basically paying a third of that with Fidelity Go. With Vanguard's equivalent, you're paying... 0.3, so they're shaved a little bit lower than Fidelity. But again, these choices are so much cheaper than going to a traditional full commission brokerage house or many other independent advisors. Zeke is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Zeke. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. And Zeke, you are doing well as well, aren't you? I am doing wonderful, and I just want to take this opportunity to thank you personally for just kind of changing our lives. This has just been just an awesome, awesome honor to talk to you and to share our story with you. Please tell me what happened. So I guess about nine years ago, we started, and this is common that you just start falling into uh, credit card debt. And... um, and it just kept like like just growing and growing and growing and growing. So I tried all of the debt snowballs and everything like that. And about, oh, I'd say about four years ago, we kind of hit a wall where we were at $30,000 in credit card debt. And I was just like, no, we can't do this. We have three children. And I'm like, no, I want them to have, you know, financial freedom. That's something that you talk about all the time. And I want to have that for them. And I want to teach them how to work with their money properly. So three years ago, we took out a personal loan uh, based on your recommendations, lots of heavy podcast listening and, you know, going through your website. And we went through um, one of the places you recommend. Who did you go to? uh, I'm curious. Lendingclub.com. Okay, so for you as a borrower, Lending Club has worked out for you, huh? It has. And the funny thing is, like, we've tried all this. You know, when you look at the bottom of your credit card statement, they're like, in three years, if you pay this such and this such amount, that you will be done in three years. So I started doing that. But my God, it just, I think one of the things that I'm learning is, like, you've got to figure out what works best for you, which is why I had to do, like, heavy listening to your podcast. <laughs> my my kids are like, oh my goodness gracious! Like every time I turn you on, because <laughs> I started listening a lot, right? And Your so poor actually, children daughter, having to put up with me. <laughs> you are part of the family, Clark. Let me tell you. So, um, long story short, um, we have been chipping away. I mean, the, we 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 were able to like wipe out the credit card debt, but we had this we had this um, you know monthly payment back to Lending Club. Well. Two years ago, I realized that we had accrued yet another $10,000 on the credit cards after we had wiped them off, right? Oh. And I'm like, oh, my God, here we go again. And then there was another thing that came. So now we're talking about a, a total of 50000 but we had been chipping away at this other one. And a year ago, I was like, that's it. I'm done. And we worked 
diligently at the two credit cards that had one was at about six thousand, one was at about four thousand. We had uh, something else on the side from taxes, and then we had the thirty thousand. And I want to tell you that on Black Friday, a couple of days ago, I made my final payment, and everything's at zero. Wait, 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 wait. So you you went from for eight years approximately. You were just spinning your wheels. No matter what you tried. Spinning. It was horror. Horror. And and all in one year, you resolved that you hit the wall and you said no more. So educate your fellow listener. What was that change that you made when you hit the wall that allowed you to make such enormous progress? So what we did is we learned to live uh, beneath our means and we put ourselves on a weekly budget. You know, one of the things that were coming out, like were all those extras, like the, the automatic payments on your credit cards. Sure. We were fine on one of the credit cards, the automatic, but I never accounted that into my, um, you know, my monthly spending. So we went, that was more the macro level. So we went to the micro level. How much are we allowed to spend at groceries a week? at, uh, um, what is that, gasoline a week? How much are we really, like, we started looking at our credit card statements, like, just, you know, just really just finitely. And what we realized is if we only spend this much, and by the way, Aldi is, like, our new best friend, because (laughs) we're a family of five with two dogs, recommended by you, of course. And so we just learned to live on less. And when you start changing your mindset that I don't really need this and you know where your money's going every single month, it took about three months to really have it seep in. And we went to, we went on a two week vacation out this summer, right? With all this, we still went on two week vacation. We did your whole idea of renting a car from Los Angeles instead of like doing like one way, we did a whole circle. So we were from L.A. all the way to the Grand Canyon, down to Tucson, over to San Diego and back to L.A., right? So instead of, you know, taking flights or like trying to do like a return of car or something like that, we, we shopped and we ate dinners in the hotels rather than eating out. I mean, we really just changed our lifestyle and we lived in a budget. And I'm telling you, just looking at it weekly, the two of us, you know, my husband and I, we just sat and we really looked through everything. And the kids are on board. The kids now have an allowance where, based on your living large for the uh, living, wait, the living large for the long haul. That book. Yep. And um, the the children now have an allowance based on their grade. So I have a fourth, fifth, and sixth grader. So they get four dollars a week, five dollars a week, six dollars a week. So we've really just incorporated lots of different strategies. But again, it's it's coming back and communicating as a family. Really, you know, our goals and expectations. And so, Zeke, you you've accomplished so much, and I can tell you you feel this relief. It's like this burden that's been around a decade almost is lifted. So now that you've learned to live on less than what you make, what is the next step in your journey? What are you up to now? Well, right now I am a doctoral student. And so we're paying for my doctorate degree in cash, which feels amazing. So we're not accruing student loan debt. 
And we are really, we do have a car. So actually, we, now we're taking, we have a car payment, right? Well, that was going to be another two and a half years. We're going to be done with that payment in four months. <laughs> so we're just not, we're, let me tell you, Clark, we are just knocking it out so well. And it feels amazing to be able to do this. So those are kind of the two big things that we are doing right now. Well, I am so impressed and so excited and grateful to you that you shared your story. You don't know how many other people are listening to you who are faced with a lot of credit card debt, a lot of uh, debt that feels like it's never going to end. And you felt that for so long, and you radically looked at the spending side of your life, and that is the core and the key. You know, I always talk about you have to learn to live on less than what you make, which is easy to say it's hard to do. But you, are uh, you're a doctoral student, you are now a fully-fledged professor of how to live on a budget. <laughs> so, I'm working for that honorary member of Team Clark. That's what I'm working well, for. Well, <laughs> you are now an official member of Team Clark. And yes. congratulations to you. I'm so glad for you. Continued success. When you finish your doctoral program, the next thing I want you to start looking at saving for the long term, saving for retirement, because that would be the next step in your odyssey of living a debt-free life, a life free of financial anxiety. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where producer Joel asks a question that you posted for me at Clark.com. All right, Clark. This first one is from Jean, and she wants to know, are the ads on your website legitimate? Oh, what a question. So... In the web area, ads appear many different ways. And so there are ads that we specifically vet that appear on the website. And those will usually be larger ads. This really small ones you see often are served by ad servers. And we don't know before any ad appears there, even often what ad is appearing there on Clark.com. And so I want you to know that the ads that appear on a website, you cannot assume that the people who operate that website or own it 
have decided that the advertisers are okay. The ones that we control, we do the best we can to make sure that they are legit. But no ad that appears on my websites is an ad that I endorse or anything like that. As you know, if you're a longtime listener, I don't endorse anything. I will recommend things for or against because of how I feel about them. But endorse means you accept money for something and you lend your official endorsement. I do not do that, never have, never will. So do not assume, because an ad is on my website or anybody else's, that the website operator says, yeah, that's really great. All right, Clark, and Tom wrote in, he says, I'm interested in protecting myself with an umbrella policy. My insurance company said the liability amounts I currently have are too low and that I would need to increase them before I could apply for this umbrella policy and increasing my auto coverage would increase my premium by double. What should I do? Okay, that is a standard thing. And if you have the kind of assets that you're worried about potential risk that you need an umbrella, likely you have had your liability limits way too low to this stage on your auto insurance. Remember, an accident that causes a chronic injury to someone can cost massive amounts of money and put the money that you have built up over the years at risk. So it is a standard thing that you'll have to go to triggering amounts of liability on auto and homeowners before you become eligible for that umbrella policy. And that's because the umbrella picks up after a certain level of already existing liability coverage. So that is uh, not just common. What they've told you is standard and proper. All right, Clark, speaking of insurance, Mark wrote in, he says, I know you're a fan of Amica. Due to your recommendation, we switched our home auto and umbrella policies uh, to them just a couple years ago, but this month, Amica raised our homeowner's uh, costs by 30%. We've had no claims whatsoever, and while I understand the need for insurance costs to increase, a 30% bump seems to be way over the top. I, I hope that you've called Amica and asked for an explanation And if they are no longer cost-effective for you, no matter how good a company they are, then you may need to consider shopping with other companies and see what else is out there. 30% jump in a single year, although I do hear that from time to time from people, that is an unusually high increase when there's been no claims activity at all. I appreciate all your posts. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.